Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. It doesn't take very long to turn on the news and see the impact of bad leadership. We've seen it in our own political leadership, in our own political system, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, we see how, we see how people in power making bad decisions impact all of us. We see it in the news when we turn on and we, we watch stories of the Ukraine and how a despot in Russia who is a former KGB thug, is impacting the world, impacting oil prices, impacting food prices, impacting famine in Africa because there's not enough wheat, because Ukraine is the bread, the bread bowl of, of all of Europe and spilling into Africa. We see how how the desires and the misplaced passions of leaders can totally shape a country and a nation, and beyond that, the world. And it's also easy to get lulled into the idea that our decisions aren't as impactful. There's no way that our decisions could impact that many people. There's no way the decisions that we make could have a negative impact with those ramifications. And I think we fool ourselves into thinking that, that because we don't have that kind of power and we're not that important that we can just coast. Well, today we're going to look at a part towards the ending of the David story that deals with something, a leftover sin, let's say, from Saul and from David's inaction. And while it's easy to look at these two guys and say, well, they were kings and so their actions impacted more people, that's obvious, but, but the point of the story goes beyond that and I want to kind of pick that apart today and see how it applies to us. How does this story about David apply to us in our current setting? The first thing you need to know about these last, I think it's four chapters, 21, yeah, the last four chapters of 2 Samuel is that they're, uh, I'm going to use a word here and then I'm going to explain it. They're chiastic. Um, so do y'all talk about chiasm in, in yeah, in, in the structure of, of literature? Probably not as much as, as we do in, in handling Scripture. Think of chiasm as a mirror. Uh, and so, if this doesn't explain it to you and you're confused, just forget about it, all right? Think of this. A, B, C, C, B, A. Does that make sense? It's a mirror. It mirrors itself. That's a chiasm in, in, in biblical literature. And that chiastic development 
is there for a reason. When you see it, you should go, oh man, this is a tool. Now, we don't use it in our literature like they did in theirs. When they would write poetry, they used chiasm. When they wrote, um, when they wrote histories, they would take it out of the linear history just so they could make a chiastic stru- a structure to it. So, so when you see it in the biblical literature, it should be like, oh, this is important. The structure points to this is a big deal. Now, the reason why this is a big deal is it's the final four chapters of Samuel's story, his story about Saul and David. This is the ending. And what we're going to look at today is the first part of that chiastic structure. And it's pointing to a major theme. In essence, the author of 2 Samuel wants us to say, okay, if we're looking back over all of the David story, if we're looking back over all of the Saul story, how do we bring that to, a fru- to fruition? How do we make a point out of it? What's, the, what's one of the main themes that we want to drive home? And so that's what we have in the story that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. 2 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 14. You can follow on a smart device on the screen, or you can follow in your own hardback Bible or leather-bound Bible, or whatever it is you have. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. It's a weird structure. And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, this is a story that we don't have time to go back and dive into, but there had been this deal made. And it was a covenant made with the Gibeonites that they would not be harmed or touched because they helped the Israelites. But Saul said, ah, I don't care about no darn covenant. We're going to kill these people. Slaughter them all, men. Kill the women, children, everybody. Let's do it, kind of thing. And so Saul, who was David's predecessor, had committed this war crime against the Gibeonites and broke covenant, that's huge, broke covenant with not only the Gibeonites, but God. He broke that contract. That's the setting here. Because of that, we are told, there's three years of famine on the land. Now, here's the deal. Because this is part of the chiastic structure, we don't know when this happened We have no clue what part of David's reign this was. It could have been at the end. It might not have been. We just know that there were three years, and it was year after year of famine. Now, for those of you who go with us to Israel, you will see what lack of rain in that area means. When it rains, even in the hill country of this desert rock hill country, when it rains, grass will sprout. It's just tiny little grass. And it'll be covered with green, and, it, and it, looks, it looks pretty cool. You're in the middle of this kind of arid desert place, lots of rock, and then all of a sudden these sprouts of life are coming up when there's rain. Well, that means that you can graze your herd. That means that life is happening. When there is no rain, everything dries up. And it's 
arid and rocky and desert and hot. And the water sources begin to shrink. And in those days when everything depended on rain for life, three years of no rain is horrible. And so David, desperate to find out what in the world he should do, goes to God and prays, and the Lord Yahweh says to him, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So David gets this message and he's like, that was Saul's problem. Why am I having to deal with that? But part of the problem is David hasn't dealt with all the wrong things Saul had done before him. David got to power and, as we've looked at, just kind of coasted. He got real comfortable, and he didn't go and do the hard things. And because he didn't do the hard things, now he has to deal with it. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? So David, the king, goes to the Gibeonites and say, look, I've been talking to God. He says Saul's, you got, uh, that Saul had blood guilt, there's blood guilt, and that we need to atone for this. There's something that we need to do. What do you want from us, Gibeonites? What is it that you want? What shall we do? And how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? And the Gibeonites, the heritage of the Lord, by the way, was the people of Israel. The Gibeonites said to him, it is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, well, what do you say that I shall do for you? And they said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. This sounds like a western, right? I mean, it really kind of does. There's blood guilt, and we're going to get seven of your guys, and we're going to hang them, and we're going to let the buzzards eat them. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. And David says, okay, that sounds fair. Now, guys, if this isn't disturbing to you, we need to have a talk. I mean, I read this and I'm like, this is, this is in the Bible, right? So we're going to cover this stuff, even though it's like really shady. It's like, what is up with this? I mean, seriously, think about it. David, the man after God's own heart's like, yeah, we'll give you seven people. Hang them up. Kill them. The Gibeonites said, we don't want you to have to do it. So don't worry about it. You don't have to give us silver or gold. You don't have to repay us a bunch of stuff. Just give us seven of his offspring. Just seven. Now, why do you think the number seven, not rhetorical? What does seven mean? Y'all speak up. It's the number of completeness. So if you want to pay completely 
for the sin, there's got to be seven of them. Now, the Gibeonites made this, called this number out. They knew that it was a very Israelite Hebrew number. And they're like, give us seven. How about them apples? Seven of Saul's offspring. Now, we know of one offspring. What's his name? You get extra points if you can say it. Mephibosheth. Very good. All right. Mephibosheth. And who was Mephibosheth? Even though I blew it last week, who was Mephibosheth? Grandson, the son of Jonathan. And who was Jonathan? Not, don't tell me Saul's son and, and Mephibosheth's father. Who was, who was Jonathan? David's best friend. So David had promised Jonathan no harm to Mephibosheth. And he had honored that. And so he's like, okay, I'll give you seven offspring, but not Mephibosheth. That's a mouthful, isn't it? How would you like that name? I wonder what his nickname was, because saying Mephibosheth all the time is just not easy. <laughs> what was that? Phoebe. That's, I like that. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth. The son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she... Anyway, it doesn't matter. We're not going to read all these names. And he can't... Why? Because I can't say them. All right? (laughs) And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord... And the seven of them perished together, and they were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is bizarre. They hung them before the Lord. I mean, this is really kind of ritualistic craziness. We're going to take seven offspring, we're going to string them up, and we're going to do it in the place that they were from, where Saul was from, so that everybody can see him, and we're going to let him hang there. And this is before the Lord. Here it is. Now, I have a hard time with it too. And it's hard to understand and explain. But there's a couple of things that you need to keep in mind with this. Number one, this culture was radically different than our culture. Life and death was much more in your face and common. It was nothing for all the people around the Israelites to make sacrifices. That was a usual part of their custom. So understand that we read it with Western eyes. We read it with a whole different set of values and a whole different understanding of culture than they did. That's the first thing you need to understand. But putting that aside, there's famine. And when you're King David and you're looking at this and you pray and you feel like God's saying to you, the Lord says, there is blood guilt because a covenant with me has been broken. Something has to be done. If David doesn't do that, how many people die? I mean, it could be the whole nation. I mean, it could be hundreds of thousands of people with a famine. So, as the king, David's looking at this and going, okay, the Lord says that there's blood guilt. He goes to the Gibeonites and says, 
all right, guys, you get to choose what, what needs to happen. And they say seven people. He's like, seven people for the rest of the nation, here you go. That's one thing you have to keep in mind, too. And another thing that you have to keep in mind is the brutality of Saul on the people that were the Gibeonites. And whether we like it or not, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a thing. And the death of seven people by the Gibeonites pales in comparison to what Saul did to them. In fact, they were quite gracious. They could have demanded a lot more than seven lives. Seven, the number of completion. You will be completely forgiven. We'll let these seven cover the complete nation. So it's, do we continue in famine? And do we risk war with the Gibeonites again, these people that we're supposed to be honoring and protecting? Or do we give up seven people? I would not want to have to make that decision. I wouldn't want to have to be David. I wouldn't want to have to go to Saul's family and go, you know what? I need seven. Let's just start ticking them off. Oh, but you can't, I can't, I'm not taking Mephibosheth. Anybody else? And could you imagine being one of those guys like, wait a second, time out. That was my great-grandfather. I had nothing to do with this. And as brutal as it is to our ears, it really is somewhat gracious to the people of Israel. I don't like it. I don't like what the Gibeonites asked for. But if we take a step back, it's really... It's really gracious. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. And when David was told about her, David went... Verse 12, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan and the men of Jabesh-Gilead from the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had stolen them from the public square where the Philistines had hanged them. And on the day, the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of the seven who were hanged, and they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in a tomb of Kish, his father. And they did all that the king commanded, and after that, God responded to the plea. That was a lot. I'm going to break it down for you. Rizpah was the mother of some of those hanged. She was so distraught. And she refused the humility of having her children picked apart by carrion birds, by buzzards. Because that's what they would do. They'd leave the bodies hanging in humiliation. And they'd be like, let's see how long it takes for the birds to eat this body. I mean, could you imagine going to Cathedral Square and like, oh, yeah, there's 10 of them up this week. Let's see what happens in the sweltering heat. And so Rizpah stood there and guarded the bodies and shooed the birds away and wouldn't let animals come at night to take and eat them. And David heard about it and was like, I might have given you the seven, but I'm not going to let you humiliate them. They've paid the price. We're not going to humiliate the family now. 
And David goes and he takes the bodies down and he takes their bones. And then he goes and steals the bones from their enemies, the Philistines, and brings them all back and buries them. Now, this is weird to our ears too, but this is part of what it meant to be in family. It was part of their understanding of what should happen in death. And so they gathered all the bones together and buried them with the ancestors, which was extremely important. And so in essence, David said, yes, I've given you the seven, and yes, they've paid the price, but I'm not going to humiliate them, and I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to regain, I'm going to uh, regather all of Jonathan's family and their bones and all of Saul's family and their bones, and I'm going to bring them back in honor of him. They might have had to pay a price, but they don't have to be humiliated. And so David, even in the act of giving up the seven, is showing graciousness. Again, we don't understand this in our mindset, but this is a huge act for David to commit. Could have cost him dearly, but it didn't. So I told you as we started this, this was an important story because it sums up the theme of Saul and David. It's one of the summations of this whole arc of the story. And here's what I think we can take away from it. First off, sin impacts not just us and not just those immediately connected to us, but sin has an impact that ripples beyond anything we can imagine. That is a constant theme through this whole story. Now, Samuel wants the reader to understand that this just isn't the case for David, but it's the case for us too. So you might think that your ugliness and your failures only impact you or only impact your immediate loved ones, but when we bring evil into the world, that evil ripples. It just does. And so... Our sin is never just personal sin. Our brokenness is just never personal brokenness. It's connected and it, and it ripples and it impacts those far beyond our understanding. It's easy for us to look at Putin and be mad at him and think, what an evil guy. Look at all the millions of lives that he's destroying, and he has. But we are just as guilty And our sin ripples just as far, even though we might not see it. And that's the point that, that this author wants to drive home. The second thing is that God takes covenant serious. And God's covenant with us now is that He gave His Son. And now He's in covenant relationship with us. And what He's saying to us is, I've given everything for you. Everything. Will you be my bride? Will you join in relationship with me? Because I take covenant serious. I will never leave you or forsake you. If you choose me, I will always be yours. If you choose me, I will never fail you. If you choose me, I will never stop loving you. And he loves those that don't even love him. And I don't get that part either. 
This is a reminder that God's covenant is serious and it's strong and that we should take it serious so that when we enter into relationship with him, it's not flippant, guys. We are connecting ourselves to the God of the universe, uh, universe who's in covenant with us and he's in this love relationship with us and we ought to honor that by loving him back with all that we have just like he loves us. And I think the last thing that it teaches us, and there's other things that could be taken away, but the last thing that it teaches us is that God wants to pour out his provision and his blessing. He does. But it doesn't look like we think it looks like. I think in our world, our provision and blessing uh, all too often looks like, oh, everything's going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be up and to the right. You know, our life trajectory is this way and our bank account's going to go this way and, and our health is going to go this way. Everything's going to get better. And that's not what he promises. That's, that's not what he promises. What he promises is to provide our needs, not our wants. God wanted to bless the people of Israel. His blessing was rain. Our sin is serious. God's covenant is more serious. And when we live in that covenant relationship rightly, there is blessings that just come naturally with that. It's not a quid pro quo, which is the other thing that I think our culture teaches us. If you do the right thing, then God's going to do this for you. That's not how it works. It's not a quid pro quo. What he's asking is, would you be in relationship with me? And when you're in right relationship with me, there will be blessings that don't look like money or health or anything like that. It looks like rain. In a desert. It's what you need when you need it where you are. And so these themes that have echoed throughout David and his life come to fruition here. And we're seeing David now as a good king. And our God is a good king. And he's inviting you into whose rule and his reign. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.